Welcome. You're listening to the Diving In podcast, brought to you by Virginia Seymour and Louise Jones. This podcast is part of a lifelong conversation between friends about the books we're reading and the issues they make us think about. That also goes for the movies and television we're watching and the podcasts we're currently hooked on. We might even talk about what's in the news and anything else we're diving into this week. Diving In. Hello, Louise. Hello. Hello, divers. We've had a fortnight's break and we're back all refreshed and uh, ready to go. We've been reading lots of great books and we can't wait to tell you all about them. Spoiler free, of course. Uh, It's new release season. It sure is. It's the best time of year for book lovers Mm. because it's just so much fun seeing, you know, some of our favourite authors release new books and then some new-to-us authors releasing their new books and also debut authors releasing new books. It's just fantastic. I've got quite a stack there. I bet you do. Yeah, Yeah, I bet (laughs) bet you do do too. (laughs) Um, We're also going to chat about a book we've each just finished and some other things that we've been diving into and we'll be talking about our next book club book, which we've settled on, and it's going to be a really good one. Oh, I can't wait. Um, in case you haven't seen it already on our Instagram mm. feed, it's one that we're really looking forward to. It's a new release and uh, we're, we're going to do a, a high dive with, uh, with Pike mm. into that one. <laughs> uh, so I thought, first of all, we'd just talk about some feedback from our previous episodes. And one thing which I really loved was that several people contacted us to say that they're now listening to the podcast Nature Track. Yeah, that's the fantastic. one with all the gorgeous bird sounds mm. and the rain on mm. a tin roof and uh, the magpies warbling. And I mean, it's just so beautiful. I often put it on when I'm sort of doing things where I just want some nice white noise. I just absolutely love it because we're all about surrounding ourselves in things that are cosy and calming. Mm. And this podcast, Nature Track, is so soothing and beautiful. Did you have a a message you were going to read out. Yes, I did. It's from Julie. I think she was responding to one of our posts about whether or not people prefer to read a print book. Oh, yes. Or whether they prefer to read audio, because I I actually like both, Mm. depending on what I'm Mm. doing. And Julie writes, I definitely prefer a print book. However, I have been driving two hours each way on Fridays to pick my daughter up at college and bring her home. And audio books have been my salvation. I'm listening to two. One for me driving alone to get her and a different one for the way back that we listen to together. How gorgeous. That is so Such beautiful. Such a special time together yeah. as well. She'll never forget that, no. that special time no. in that How drive. No, two yeah. hours and they can just companionably yeah. listen to the yeah. story. Yeah, it's lovely. That is gorgeous. Um, I've got a little one from Rose Carroll on Instagram. She said, I haven't caught up on all of your podcasts yet, so I'm not aware if you've done a deep dive on books with older characters' points of view. I have read some of the better known, um, Olive Again, The Weekend, Major Pedigree's Last Stand. Gosh, Mm. they're all great ones. They're great books. She said, you may be familiar with many more. When one or both of you get laughing, I find myself joining in. <laughs> uh-huh. A good fit of mirth and giggles is good for the spirit. That was sure a lovely is. message. <laughs> we have plenty of those we do. giggles. Plenty more to come to, we have, sure. we, have, we have plenty off mic as well. <laughs> yeah, we sort of, sure do. <laughs> okay, so 
Uh, did you want to talk about the, a book you've just recently finished? I with? certainly do. I have just finished Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. This book was recommended to me by Tor, a wonderful bookseller at Collins in Cottesloe. It's a huge read, not just the fact that it's 600 pages. It's just sort of a, you know, a big, big story. So you might want to save it for a holiday or a break. Um, I bought it in July when it came out and it's taken me a couple of months to immerse myself in it. And because it's such a huge arc of a story, I'm, I'm just going to give you sort of really the bare minimum because I actually have a lot to say about it. It's an entirely fictional story, but it's inspired by the exploits and incredible sort of experiences of some of our first intrepid female aviators. They were an extraordinary group of women. You know, they're really our early feminists and pioneers. You'll all be familiar with Amelia Earhart, Amy Johnson, Bessie Coleman, but there were many others, lesser well-known, who were such trailblazers, such as the the female pilots who flew during the Second World War, who we rarely hear about. And Maggie Shipstead's research for this book is just flawless and it creeps into every part of it. I particularly liked some of the scenes when the main character, Marion, is actually in her plane and she's observing the world around her. It's just quite extraordinary and mesmerising at times. So the book comprises two parallel and intersecting stories. The first is of Marion Graves. She's born in 1914 and she's been raised with her twin brother by their uncle Wallace in Prohibition-era Montana. Um, between the First and Second World Wars in the town of Missoula, which is a real town in, in Montana. The parallel story is set 100 years later in 2014 in Los Angeles. Hadley Baxter is a young and whip-smart Hollywood star. Like Marion, she has been raised by her uncle after her parents crashed their light plane into Lake Superior. Oh. So the parallels begin. Fantastic. We learn from the get-go that Hadley knows about this historical figure, Marion Graves, because she used to be dumped in the library in LA by her uncle's girlfriends who were supposed to be babysitting her. And she once read a book, Brave Ladies of the Sky, which was about famous female aviators. And so she'd, she'd read about Marion as a young girl. And she read that Marion had been raised by her uncle. So she immediately felt this sort of simpatico with her. And the aviation connection, of course, resonates because she finds out that while Marion is living her life's obsession to fly a circle around the world, hence Great Circle, Marion is lost when her plane apparently crashes in the Antarctic. And this, none of this is a spoiler. This is yes. right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back, just back to Marion as a child. Wallace receives Marion and Jamie into his care as babies in 1914 when his brother Addison is no longer able to care for them for reasons that I'm not going to spoil. But Addison's story occupies quite a large part of the first part of the book and it's quite momentous. He's um, a sea captain of a luxury liner, the Josephine Eterna. We're also introduced to the very rich Pfeiffer family who own the Manhattan Shipping Company, which owns the Josephine Eterna and other ships. And then after the war, this Manhattan Shipping Company, Eleanor, eventually becomes Liberty Oil, a very wealthy corporation. And and. The, the family members, the intergenerational family members of that family are all through the book. Wallace enjoys the isolation and the mountains of Montana where he's an artist. He's also a gambler. 
and he's probably not very well placed to look after two young children, but he's a very sympathetic character in the book. Life in Montana is pretty basic and it shapes Marion and her brother um, these early years. You really get the sense that Missoula is a frontier town. It's, as I said, it's pro- these are the prohibition years. There's a lot of lawlessness, bootlegging, gambling, and Marion are often left to their own devices. And a couple of things happen when Marion is 10. She absorbs herself in books that belong to her father. And they're often books about far-flung places, explorers and, and adventurers. And then at age 12, she's riding her horse in the mountains and a small red and black biplane flies over very close to her head. Uh, and it belongs to the flying brave ogles, Felix and Trixie, who are a flying stunt duo on their way to Hollywood. And she inveigles herself for a ride in the plane and a passion is ignited. Wow. She knows she must earn enough money to escape Missoula and become a pilot and leave that life behind. So the book is is very much, first and foremost, not only sort of the great circle that she ends up flying around the world, but also sort of a circular journey to find her own freedom and to understand perhaps the mystery of her father and her family. Back to uh, Hadley. In the 2000s, Hadley's Uncle Mitch is a, a sort of a minor Hollywood producer and he's stereotypically sort of hedonistic and excessive, you know, all the trappings of the LA lifestyle. And so Hadley is raised with very few boundaries and her uncle spruiks her from a very early age. She's very attractive and she, he spruiks her to do endless auditions for, you know, commercials and television and film. So by 13, she is the lead in a children's series, Katie McGee. And by 17, and this is all at the very beginning of the book, so I don't know if this is a spoiler, she's, she, by 17, she's the sort of quintessential Hollywood brat because she secured the lead role in a TV franchise that becomes wildly successful wow. called Archangel. It kind of reminded me maybe of Twilight. I have no idea, but it just yeah. had that sort of mm. feel about it. And so she becomes very rich and very famous very early on in a short space of time. And her fans are very invested in the Archangel series and for her preserving the sort of veil of her character in that series. So when she pierces that veil and her personal life is something of a disaster, it's all over for her. What, do her fans turn on her? Absolutely, absolutely. So weathering that scandal, she is offered the role to play Marion Graves in a, a biopic about Marion's life. And, of course, it immediately is something that she wants to do because she's read this book as a child. She's lost her own parents to a plane crash. The story is that Marion disappears. And there are so many parallels between her life. Were they both raised by uncles? Both raised by uncles. Mm. So, yes, both of their lives shaped by loss, disappearance of significant people in their lives without resolution. But then there's also, and this is the last thing I want to say, that there's also lots of really minor parallels as well. Like even things that happen in relationships that Marion and Hadley have, even on one occasion the way they are held by a partner and none of it irritates you. Like I I notice parallels and then later I might be driving the car and think, oh gosh, that happened to Hadley, that happened to Marion. None of it irritates you. It is so clever, so clever. You know, they're both fiercely intelligent, intrepid 
people and the way they talk to people, they're very, very direct and honest, very similar people in many respects. But as I say, the similarities don't rankle at all. The prose is really sparkling. Um, I enjoy, really enjoy the way Maggie Shipstead writes. She manages to maintain the voice and the tone of each era as separate and yet it's clever it just melds into it seamlessly that that's to me the the magic of the book wow that that you feel that you are in the era of marrying you're in the era of absolutely it reminds me very much of the louis de bernier trilogy that i reviewed in episode 28 another big story yeah intergenerational aviation Mm -hmm. the wars etc and this has been great circle has been shortlisted for the 2021 booker prize yeah so watch this space Oh, that sounds so mm. good, Lou. But put aside some time to read it. Yeah, okay. I've always been fascinated by, is it Aviatrice? Avi- yes. Oh, I don't know. I don't even know. Avi- <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds a bit kinky, to be honest. <laughs> The, particularly the ones from the war. Yeah, extraordinary. Because they just muscled up and... They did. It. And I, what I have... American ones, lots of American yeah, ones. Yeah, well, I, I, what I also hadn't realised, and it's sort of detailed in this book, is that... So Marion volunteered to be a, a pilot in, in the war. And, of course, this is fictional, but yeah. know, she's obviously done a lot of research. And the American organisation said, no, no, we don't want you, but Britain wants you. So she was part of a group of American pilots, female pilots, that went to the UK and their job was to deliver the Spitfires or the Cessnas, whatever, to the pilots to fly in the war. So they had to sort of fly from location to location to location delivering planes Uh, and it's just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd never heard of... I sort of have this vision of them getting out of the plane and taking off their helmet and a big, (laughs) you know, a beautiful head of long curly hair coming out and all the male pilots (laughs) thinking, Wow. I think you're. I think you're watching a whole different genre there. I think you're back in our romance novels. <laughs> we need a pilot series, a romance series of pilots. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Oh my god. Yeah, but you, they, they had to be very singular women to do what they did. I think you know, very yes. determined, singular women. Incredible, so brave. Yeah, yeah, cool. They're very cool women. Yeah. What okay. about you? What have uh, you just finished? So I have just finished. Oh, I loved this book. So this is The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. Uh, This was sent to me by Penguin Random House and I just loved it. It's just a great contemporary story with some absolute doozy twists and a secret, a Mm -hmm. really, really big secret from the past. And the writing is just beautiful. And it's not often that you get both... A twisty story and beautiful writing, but here you you do mm. have both. Like they're both equally good. So this is Miranda's debut novel. Oh wow! She apparently grew up in New York. Uh, I think she went to Harvard, and she worked as a senior vice president at HBO. Yeah, and she worked on shows like The Sopranos, The mm-hmm. Wire, Deadwood. There's a whole oh, list of gosh. them. So she's really got an understanding of what makes a good story and how to tell a good Mm. story, and you can tell when you read this. So this book is divided into five parts, and it's told from the point of view of Elle, who is a married woman, 
and she's married to a lovely husband. I think his name's Peter. But at the very beginning of the book, like on, on page two, this is not a spoiler, it's revealed that she has just had sex the night before with Jonas, oh. who is her oldest childhood friend. And Jonas is also a married man. He's married mm. to another woman. The book then goes back and sort of tells you mm. everything that's led to what happened last night. And Elle's family and Jonas's family have been holidaying at Cape Cod all their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's got the most beautiful sense of place because in real life, Miranda Cowley Heller has spent all her childhood summers yes, okay. on Cape Cod mm-hmm. and she just captures it so beautifully. So the book starts in the present and then it circles back and fills in all their childhood and all their years, and then it ends up back in the present. And so that just covers sort of one day with lots of filling in in the circle. And the story that unfolds is quite the story. So we gradually find out about Elle and Jonas's childhoods and then their adult relationships and this very some very shocking secrets. I really can't say a lot more about the, mm. the secret or mm. anything. But I'm intrigued. I thought this was just so polished. It was really well paced and the sense of place was fantastic. It's mainly in Cape Cod, especially for someone like me who's never been mm. to Cape Cod. I felt like I really had a, a picture in my mind of they call it the camp. So they're all living in, I think a grandfather has bought this property at the beginning when people were first settling there and there are all these different huts. So there's a main house with the kitchen and the living area and then there's various different huts where people okay. sleep. And you can just picture the water and Sounds the like trees. Sounds like a compound and, of sorts. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. And there's lots of families that have got these old mm. houses that they've inherited and they just keep coming back every year. So they all know each other and they have barbecues and picnics and all that sort of mm. thing. The other thing that she has done so beautifully with this is captures the family. It's a very dysfunctional step family. There's lots of different steps Mm. because the mother had a number of relationships and then there's step siblings. Oh, yes. And it's quite tricky Mm. in parts. But each of the characters is just so well crafted. I'm not really going to say much more than that Mm. (laughs) because I don't want to give much more away. It's really good. I need to talk to someone about the ending. Um, <laughs> if you've read this and Please. you have thoughts about the ending, can you DM me? Because I really need to talk to someone about it. It's just fantastic. I will give a content warning. There are issues of consent. Mm. So if that's something that might be upsetting for you, maybe have a bit more of a look into whether this is for you or not. So that was The Paper Palace by Miranda Carley. Oh, Helen. I'm intrigued. Yeah. You would love this movie. Yes, I'm intrigued. It's really intrigued. good. Yeah. Really, really good. So now we're going to talk about the books in our theme. We decided that this episode's theme was going to be books that are hot off the press because yes. there are just so many there of are. them. We're spoilt for choice. There's just endless 
fabulous new mm. books coming out. Did you want to Part do your first really. one, Lou? Yes. So I'm going, thank you very much to Alan Unwin who sent me Chris Hammer's latest. They know that I am a love my crime books and they've sent me his latest Treasure and Dirt. This is Chris Hammer's fourth crime novel. Many of you will know him as the author of Scrubland, Silver and Trust, which were his Martin Scarsden Mandalay Blonde trilogy. This Treasure and Dirt is standalone, or perhaps it is the beginning of a new series. Um, It was released here in Australia uh, end of September, so very fresh. And I believe, and I'm just going to mention this because I know our UK listeners will be pleased, it's due to be released in the UK early January. Uh, I know he has a big following over there. I'm very pleased that Chris Hammer has departed from his protagonists, uh, Scarsden and Mandalay Blonde, because I think they need a rest. Okay, yeah, you've had enough. Well, I don't think I've had enough. I think they've had enough. Just too much excitement in their lives. exactly. I think they must be exhausted (laughs) from the drama in their lives. All those murders. Yes. And I, I just want to mention a couple of things that I might venture about series of books. I think, you know, the devoted readers of any series are a really tough crowd. Yes. Particularly in crime book series, readers become very invested and attached to the main characters, don't they? They They do. And I I suppose in crime books, they're often, you know, the protagonist is often a very human and flawed, you know, it might be a detective or, you know, it might be some other professional. And you begin to know, I think you begin to think you know them better than the writer, as well as the writer (laughs) or better than the writer. And not just for crime books, but for lots of series, you know, there's often quite cultish fan followings. And I guess, you know, ultimately a lot of these become TV series as well. I'm thinking of the Hieronymus Bosch character, the Harry Bosch character in Michael Connolly's books. I do recall having a moment where I was reading one of those books and thinking, hang on a minute, Harry, Harry wouldn't do that. Oh. Harry wouldn't say that. And it was just a moment... But I think I thought that I knew the characters so well and I think it's quite hard for the author because the characters become so embedded that the readership isn't giving the character time to grow oh, or to develop. That's such an interesting So I think sometimes it is quite good to have a break. Yes. Um, and then the other thing is I think occasionally, you know, the formula of crime novels, and I guess I am talking about crime novels now, is a bit of a double-edged sword because readers love their inside knowledge, don't they? That when there's a tidbit of information, they know that three stories ago that's where it came from, don't you think? I mean, like... Oh, uh, that's the whole fun. Yeah, it's that you're... You're You're in on something. You're in on something. Yeah. So they like the threads that they can recognise and the familiar rhythm of the language. But, you know, I think also they don't want to be guessing what's happening ahead of the... No. Ahead of the story. true. And I think that's something that Chris Hammer manages to do. He manages to avoid those pitfalls of formula because he has so many multiple plot lines going on in his books. And that's sort of, I'd say, sort of a feature of his books is that you ne- you think you know what's going to happen and then it something else happens. Off. Yeah, it goes yeah, off. In different directions. Yeah. So Treasure and Dirt, we are in the fictional New South Wales opal town of Finnegan's Gap. Uh, so he's gone back to the outback. There is not a metropolis in sight. Um, The book opens with a prologue, (laughs) (laughs) which describes the discovery of a body down a mine shaft. The body is Jonas McGee. He's an opal miner and he has met an especially gruesome death. He has been crucified, nailed to a timber frame. 
So that's one heck of a prologue. Oh, my goodness. And then the action cuts, because that's how it feels like. Yes. Action cuts to Chapter 1, and there is a detective sergeant Ivan Lusic, uh, he is en route to the Finnegan's Gap airstrip on a Cessna Polar with his crime scene investigator and his forensic pathologist. So that sort of that first chapter sets up a lot for the future plot lines of the book because he's expecting to be going to investigate this crime with his inspector Morris Montefiore. Uh, who hasn't made the flight. And it turns out that Montefiore has been asked or ordered to stay in Sydney as he's being investigated by professional standards. Ooh. And this sort of gets Lusich's mind racing, and this is first few pages of the book, so I'm not giving great deal away. You know, why am I being sent to this outback town to investigate this crime? Is this an opportunity for me to, to perhaps establish myself away from my boss or is it a test? Ooh. Or are professional standards gunning for me as well? So readers of Chris Hammer will know Morris Montefiore from previous three books. And I think, again, this is one of those threads. Chris Hammer's been quite clever because a couple of characters do pop up oh, on I the periphery that. Um, that we've met before. So it keeps those devotees yes, on the yes, hook. Yes. But the focus and the protagonists of this book are completely new. That's very clever. Yeah. So Lucich is to be in, assisted in his investigation by an, a Nell Buchanan. She's uh, stationed in a nearby town uh, where she's become a new detective. She used to be a uniformed officer in Finnegan's Gap. So she's the logical choice to send to assist him. And she knows everybody. Yeah, she does. She knows the town. She knows the people. But we also learn that she has a history with the town and it's a history that hasn't gone away. Ooh. We don't know what that is but we know that she has a secret and that she has something to prove, as does Ivan Lusich. So they, they both have these sort of parallel secrets going on in their lives that nobody knows what they are. So one of the things I mentioned was this multiple plot line. On the one hand, we sort of have this hard graft of opal mining in this town, um, which, of course, is treacherous, unsafe work. Uh, and then we have the sort of big mining corporations are hovering around, you know, what's their interest, why are they hanging around, there's some shady financial dealings. Oh. So it's this classic big end of town versus little guy feel, which Chris Hammer loves to write about. Yes. He's formerly a political journalist. Yes. He loves he yes. loves that, that thing. And then, just to add a little bit of interest in, <laughs> there's a mysterious cult on the fringes of Finnegan's oh. Gap led by a creepy seer. Uh, that nobody nobody wants to talk about. And then, of course, you have all these families that are impacted by these various um, okay. elements in oh, the town. Wow, this sounds great. Um, so as you would expect in an outback noir book, <laughs> dingo noir book, landscape and place is front and centre. Yes. Particularly the heat. Yeah. So the heat hits you as it hits Ivan and Nell as soon as they get out of the car. And so it's just this relentless and exhausting heat. Yeah. And, you know, you and I know, yeah, yeah, we know absolutely. that heat. Uh, and it's as if it's fighting his investigation. Mm. You know, you just feel it as this very present element, shimmering and silent, yeah. you know. Oh, yes. And you just get this off-the-grid sense, you know. Right. Heat does that to you. Yeah. So you feel that this town is a little bit left behind. So he's drawn the town of Finnegan's Gap really vividly. Um, it will be very recognisable to many Australians. You know, it's got one of everything, one pub, one bowling club, one roadhouse, you know, one supermarket, one bric-a-brac, 
shop, one bookshop. There's no traffic lights, just crossroads. Um, it's a quintessential Australian country town. I don't want to give any more of the story away because, it, yeah. you know, that's yeah. we just can't oh, do that with crime so books. Good. I just want to mention the names because you and I oh, have discussed... He's great his, with his names. He's great with his names. He's we, like a modern-day Dickens. He is. And, <laughs> and, you, and I remember you saying that when we yeah. discussed it in episode 25, but I just want to give you a couple of the names. Okay. okay. We have a Trevor Topsoil. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> who has a business providing mining supplies. <laughs> But then this is, this is my favourite, even though Trevor Topsoil is an absolute doozy. Listen to this one. Cyril Flange. He is a corporate lawyer. Of course he is. Don't you love that? He sounds like the most odious, yeah. oily Well, you're going to love this. Character. This is a reference that Australians will get. He is described as looking as out of place as foie gras at Bunnings. <laughs> Don't you love that? I do. And oh. then one of the mining magnates who we have heard about in one of the other books very briefly is Delaney Bullwinkle. Oh, that's brilliant. And he is described as a small man with a large entourage. <laughs> mm, does conjure up some of our colourful mining magnates. That's brilliant. Um, so, look, highly readable, highly enjoyable book. Yeah, that sounds yeah, great, that's, Lou. I've got um, that at home. They sent that to me as well. So excellent. I'm looking forward Treasure to Treasure and Dirt, Chris Hammer. That sounds fantastic. What about you? So my new release, that my first one that I'm going to talk about is Beautiful World, Where Are You? Oh, yes. By Sally Rooney. I have read both of her earlier books. I easily loved this the most. Oh, great. Out of all three. I loved this way more. Mm. One of her earlier books I really loved. One, not, not so much, but I just adored this. I thought it was fabulous. This has a main character named... Alice. Oh. <laughs> and she has a best friend named Eileen. Mm. Uh, so this is a story about Alice and Eileen and their guys. So it opens with an omniscient narrator mm. describing Alice. So it's quite sort of, it has a kind of a distant feel. It's sort of a young woman is sitting in a hotel bar and it's describing Alice who is meeting up with a young guy named Felix. Oh, there you go. And it becomes apparent that they're meeting on a first date after connecting via a dating app. Mm. So it's very modern, feels very now. And then the alternating part of the story is all the alternating chapters are emails between Alice and her best friend Eileen. And that's this correspondence, these sort of epistolary chapters are the way that we get inside the heads of the mm. two women because they communicate back and forth mm. by email. So it's quite clever. And they're living in uh, different towns. So that's a really clever device to have them sort of communicating what's going on in each of their mm. relationships. So the character Alice is a very successful writer. And this is where it becomes sort of quite auto-fiction-y in my my view. So she's very much like a Sally Rooney mm. character and she has a great deal of unsought and unwanted fame. She's had a nervous breakdown and she has moved to a seaside town. She's renting a rather lovely old house and she's moved to this town to sort of try and recover. And it's a, a couple of hours drive from Dublin. So she's sort of away from all her friends and, and family. And she's become very wealthy mm. through the sale of her books and through the screen adaptations of her books. So 
I'm pretty sure that this character is very much autobiographical yes. or modelled on issues yes. in Sally Rooney's own life. I think you'd have to have been hiding under a rock if you didn't know that Sally Rooney mm. is just phenomenally popular and successful. She's also a little bit divisive. So yeah. there are some people who, I mean, many, many, many readers absolutely love her books, particularly younger mm-hmm. readers. Yeah. But for some reason there are, there's a, probably a very small minority who don't and who feel quite strongly about yes. it for some yeah. strange reason and can be quite nasty mm. about her and you can tell that she's the sort of person who has not sought fame. No, not at, at all. all. Not at all. Uh, it's, it's the very last thing on earth that she wants. So to that extent, I think this character is very much like um, Sally herself. So the guy that Alice that is meeting on the date, Felix, comes from a very different world. He is uh, working as a packer in a, a factory. He's not particularly literary. I don't think he really reads books, certainly hasn't read any of Alice's books. And he's really quite unlike her in many ways. So to a large extent, it does seem like a very unlikely relationship, this sort of date that they have in, in a pub. And I think at first glance, you would think, well, that's really not going to go anywhere. But it progresses on in a really interesting way and that's really what the arc of the story mm. is. And then Eileen, the, the friend back in uh, Dublin, is also single but she has a childhood male best friend named Simon, a little bit like the childhood male best friend in my other book, yes. In the Paper Palace. And Eileen's had this friend Simon and he is gorgeous they sort of always miss each other. So you can see that there's a bit of an attraction between them, but it's never quite sort of settled into anything, I mm. suppose, is how I would describe it. And it's a fascinating relationship to explore, and Sally Rooney just does it so beautifully. There's not a lot of drama in this, and, you mm. know, there are no murders, there are no plane crashes, <laughs> there's no fraud, you know, there's nothing like that. But the drama lies in the very nuanced depiction of the relationships between all of the characters. And Sally's writing is just sublime. Every word is just perfectly placed. It's very gentle. Mm -hmm. The characters are all very gentle. The dialogue is very carefully thought out. I sort of felt as though I was drinking it in. I just loved it so much. And she's very clever in the way she reveals things about the characters by showing rather than telling. I loved the way she Mm. did that. It was very subtle, but you could tell a lot of thought had gone into where to tell you things, when to tell you things, how to tell you things. Absolutely brilliant. And Sally Rooney is also very good at showing how we all make mistakes by assuming things or only seeing things from our own point of view. And there can be quite significant rifts and misunderstandings Mm -hmm. when we do that. And in this book, the reader is sort of privy to both Mm. parties and can see why there might be fault lines in the relationship. I just gobbled it up. I absolutely loved it. I really loved the ending. It's got a pandemic ending, as in the events take place Mm -hmm. in the COVID-19 pandemic. So she was obviously writing this and then hadn't quite finished it. And so the, the end of the book 
takes place sort of yes. at that early stage in the pandemic, which is something that I haven't seen a lot of mm. yet, but I imagine we're going to have... Yes, it's going to come through. It's yeah. Either people will pretend it didn't happen or yes. stories will leap yeah. two years. I don't know. It's going to be... And there'll be phrases that everybody just knows yeah. because they've lived through and you know, there'll be language yep. that will be... Yep. Yeah. That we just didn't have before, yeah. all those COVID words, mm. yeah. So I won't say any more about it, but I absolutely loved it. I cannot wait to read that book. I, I, I actually really enjoyed both of her prior books. I, I love her writing. They're sort of those sort of interior relationship yes. books yes. that it's incredible that the whole book is yeah, how does like she do that. it? And you it, cannot stop turning the page. No, I just, I, I, that's a great review, Ginny, because I, I just love her books. I cannot wait to yeah, read that. you will love it, Lou. Yeah. And it, the writing, oh, she's just so beautiful. But you can see, like, there's just whole pages. I'm holding it up to Louise. Yes. With no paragraphs. No. Just pages yes. and pages and but pages. But you do, you drink it. it. That's just so clever so that, that you said that. that. No, no paragraphs. That one's got <laughs> no, no paragraphs. Yeah, just it just goes yeah. on and on and on, and yes. you just keep turning the pages, wanting to know yes. what's going to happen. So that was really talented world. writer. Where are you by Sally mm. Rooney? Loved Love it. that. Love that. What was your other one? Then? Well, I, you know, with no disrespect to the other two authors of the books that I've already mentioned, which I both both of which I loved, I think I've saved the best for last. Oh, okay. This is book is like nothing I've ever read before. This is Wild Abandoned by Emily Brito, a very new release, end of September. So straight to it. It's 2011. The reader is reading the book from the perspective of Will, who is a 20-something young man at university in Melbourne. Uh, he's living in a shared house. He's originally from country Victoria, and he's pretty insecure about whether he fits in, you know, is he hipster enough? So there's a little bit of that sort of feeling like an imposter that creeps in. He's embarrassed by his parents. He's embarrassed by his mother's faith. There's a reference to Bogtown provincial attitudes. Uh, and they're his thoughts, not mine. And in Melbourne, he can be someone else. And it's that kind of classic mm. reinvention that, mm. you know, many of us do as young people. And uh, he falls in love with Laura, who is a friend of his housemates, Tristan and Maddie. But the book opens as Will spends his first night in New York City. He's broken up with Laura and he has run away to Ooh. deal with his complete heartbreak and sort of to get over the heartbreak and to, you know, have some experiences wow. that he can take back and sort of reinvent himself. So he's crashing temporarily at the apartment of Paul, who is a very close friend of his older brother. In fact, Paul spent some time living with Will and his brother when they were younger. And Paul is a chef in New York. And for a week, Will throws himself without pause, headlong into complete excess. So right. he's on this sort of conveyor belt of, you know, nightclubs and bars, alcohol, drugs, sex with Paul and Paul's friends. So it's this incredibly intense, vivid travel experience where you can momentarily reinvent yourself. Yeah. And it's described by critics as hyper real. It's sort of like okay. very vivid Where you've prose. stepped out of your life. Yes, for, exactly. For a week or two yeah. or whatever. And the week seems so much longer than yes. a week. That's how it tells you it all the detail. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, right. But, of course, the week in New York swallows up much of Will's money oh. and something happens, which I'm not going to spoil. So he, he decides to leave New York. And he ultimately heads to Ohio and the town of Little Proud where a girl he went to school with, Tamsin, is now living and she's married and she's pregnant. 
And Tamsin and her husband, JT, are very hospitable. And Will tells them he has no plans other than a plan to get lost, to drive anywhere in America. So it's sort of almost this sort of... You know, I think he imagines himself as Jack Kerouac yep. and it's this sort of, you know, he's going to get on Route 66 <laughs> and he's going to have this incredible experience. And JT and Tamsin introduce Will to an older man, a Wayne Gage, who is a Vietnam vet. And he's been very good to JT over the years because JT's father is also a, a Vietnam vet who, who has never really recovered from the war. More unusually, Will learns that Wayne Gage has a substantial private collection of exotic animals mm. called Wayne's Wild Kingdom. It's sort of a private zoo. And so this is where the book just takes this sort of left turn. And JT has helped him sort of build the compound and the cages and helps with the feeding and the cleaning. And this process takes hours because we are talking about lions, tigers, brown bears, a grizzly, wolves, leopards, a panther, and some primates. And Wayne is increasingly becoming completely overwhelmed by looking after these animals with only JT to help. So as you can imagine, Will is completely incredulous. This boy from small town Victoria is taken to visit this compound of animals. And, you know, he's wide-eyed and just finds it incredible. And later on, he finds himself feeding a lion cup in his lap. Wow. So is this a bit like that TV show? Yeah, it is. No, no, it is. Absolutely. Like, like, like what's it called? What's, what was it I called? Can't think of the no. Yeah, Tiger King. Tiger King. Tiger King. Tiger. Yes. It is actually, I, I should say now, I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. There is a little bit of a content warning with this. Okay. With this book. If animals in captivity are not your thing, yeah. then I, I wouldn't suggest yeah. that you read it. And also Emily Bitto has been inspired in part by catastrophic circumstances okay. which happened in Ohio in 2011 at a private zoo called Zanesville. Okay. So if you look up that yeah, incident, yeah, yeah. you may decide not yeah, to read yeah, the book. Yeah. Anyway, life is much slower, of course, in Ohio compared to the crazy pace yeah. of that week he had in New York. So Will has got a lot more time to kind of reflect and think about Laura, think about his life in Melbourne, and, and Will moves in with Wayne to help him look after these animals and decides that he will stay for a while, a month, at most a month, just to help Wayne look after the animals uh, while JT's wife, Tamsin, has her baby. So I'm not going to go into any more detail about the story, save to say that there is a lot more going on for Wayne, uh, Gage, than, than he initially reveals. Right. You know, his experiences returning from Vietnam have made him deeply distrustful of authority and he's just a little bit paranoid. And his, his life is unravelling. And as you can imagine, for naive 22-year-old Will, he is finding himself in the most extraordinary, Ooh. intense oh, situation. I'm worried about Will. And, of course, the reader is well, way ahead of, of Will. Of course. You know, oh. <laughs> you know <laughs> yes. Will's wide-eyed and, you know, <laughs> certain things begin to creep in, but, you know, the reader is way <laughs> ahead of Will. Will? <laughs> might want to book a, play, a flight home. <laughs> I just think this is an extraordinary book. Um, she writes so well. She's It's very realistic, vivid prose, as I said before. She does have some of the longer, longest sentences oh. I have ever read, but it was still beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a very original contemporary read for me. I loved it. But as I said, content warning. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was Wild Abandoned by Emily Bitto. Thank you very much, Alan Unwin, for sending that to me. That sounds so good, Louis. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, what about you? What's your... Yes, I was picturing Tiger King as you were talking. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so my second new release is called The Book of Form and Emptiness Ooh. by Ruth Azeki. This was sent to me by Text Publishing, and I also loved this book so much. Thought it was wonderful. Uh, Ruth Ozeki is the author of A Tale for the Time Being, which was around everywhere, I think about a year or two ago. I know Gretchen Rubin raved about it and loved it. That was shortlisted for the mm. booker or the man booker, I think. And she's written some other books as well. I have not read her before, but mm. I do now want to mm. read all of her books. That's a big book too. It's a, it's, it is big. It could probably be 100 pages or less. That, if I had any criticism yes, of it, okay. I think most most books that are 500 and something pages, you could probably trim them a bit. But, you know, mm. so it's a minor criticism because mm. I really loved it. This book is what I would describe as very big and imaginative and creative. And I was thinking about this yesterday. It's sort of imaginative in the same way that Trent Dalton's books are. Oh, okay. If that gives you an idea. Yes. They're completely different storylines, but or, well, maybe there's a similarity, but the wild, crazy imagination yes. of the author really yes. comes through. And this author has a slightly similar feel for mm. me. Um, although I didn't think about that when I was reading it. It was only when I was reflecting on it afterwards. It's not really like anything I've ever mm. read. This is about a little boy. So to that extent, maybe there is a, a bit of a similarity with the first Trent Dalton book. This is a little boy named Benny, and he has a Japanese father and a Caucasian mother. I think he's about 11 or 12 from memory. And they live in America, just an ordinary little family in a town. And the boy's father dies in rather awful circumstances. And this story is basically a recounting of the impact that that event has on each of the mother and the son. And in particular, the son, because shortly afterwards, the son starts to have auditory hallucinations. Oh, okay. And the mother has many difficult things to grapple with, not the least of which is that her son is having these auditory hallucinations where he thinks objects are talking to him. And the part of the sort of wildly imaginative thing about the book is that it's told alternately by Benny mm. and by a book. So the alternate chapters are a book talking to you oh. and telling you a story. Oh. So if you can wrap your head around that, it's yes. quite a big thing to wrap yes. your head around and read. So the book chats away to you and it's the book telling you the story of Benny. Oh, okay. So Benny does one chapter. One book telling you. Yes, but the book talks about itself as a representative of all books, interestingly. Oh, okay. It's very different yes. and imaginative and yes. I absolutely loved it. It's not hard to wrap your head around because the story is very simply told. So it's the story of Benny, so that's why the book's talking exactly. to you. Yeah, okay. But then Benny does chime in sort of, you know. In, <laughs> Hang on a minute. Yes, and says, oh, you didn't tell them this. Oh, or okay. That, that kind of thing. So and is that his imagination? Well, <laughs> Really, oh, I love it. it. Really love plays it. with your head a bit. Yeah, yeah and, I love that. But not in an uncomfortable How way. How unique, though. It's lovely. I had no trouble mm. sort of following this, or you know, you just very quickly settle down. I think the first opening chapter after the little prologue is the book, 
So start with the voices then. When did he first hear them? When he was little, Benny was always a small boy and slow to develop. Yes. So it's just the book telling the story. Yes. It's very easy yes. to follow. Really well done. Mm. Just thinking, how interesting is a device? Because yeah. she could have simply just had those chapters telling you about yes. Benny, but she chose to actually intervene yes. at this thing. She this could object. have just said, I'm an, you know, she could have just been an omniscient narrator, like lots yes. of books. And that chapter would read the same. But there's just little inserts where you know yes, that it's a book. Because he's having auditory hallucinations, so he's a... Oh, yeah, I love clever. it. I love it. And Very clever. There's more to that as well, yes. which I'll come Ooh. to. So this little boy, Benny, he's a lovely boy. He, you know, brings out your sort of your maternal instincts, mm. I suppose. He's having some struggles at school with bullying because of his auditory hallucinations. And he's also had some behavioural mm. issues where he's done... He got sent to the headmistress because he thought that some scissors were telling him to do something to a teacher. It wasn't particularly bad, but they start to think, well, oh, things aren't quite right with mm. Benny. He starts to miss school. And what he does instead of going to school is he goes to the local library oh. And the local library is this wonderful building. It's about eight or nine storeys high and it's a big new architectural building that incorporates the old library as well. So it's multi-level. It's got mezzanine bits and, and bridges and it's it sounds gorgeous, like a, like a great environment for a kid to just go mm. and find books and have mm. a great time. At one point... Benny becomes hospitalised. He's put into the paediatric psych ward mm -hmm. and he meets some other kids who are also struggling with various different mm -hmm. mental health issues. And in particular, he meets a girl named Alice. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Are you, you sure, Virginia? Can you believe that I put it out there that Alice is the most common name for characters in novels mm. and the two books I chose today the character's name is Alice mm. she is a very tough tattooed edgy mm. uh, girl who she's slightly older than him she's had some uh, issues with drugs and had to leave her family she's and he falls for her mm. she's just a completely out there character she goes by she's not called Alice, she calls herself the Aleph, which is a, a signature thing. Yeah. She's just the coolest thing you can mm. imagine and he develops quite a crush on her. And she is part of a quite an amazing community of homeless people. There's a guy in a wheelchair who's a, a I think he's a Croatian or a Polish poet. Mm. So there's lots of poetry in the book, which is what the reference is to the book of form and emptiness. And Benny makes these beautiful friendships with these really special people. So it's a bit of a wild ride, this story. Oh, it's sort of a, it's sort of tracing Benny's experiences after the, the death of his father and his mother's struggles. I felt very protective of Benny. And I had a lot of sympathy for Annabelle, the mother, because she didn't have a lot of friends or a support structure to help her. And she's working from home for this company that is totally taking advantage of her and also threatening to sack her and saying, your job has become obsolete. And the descriptions of her work, which I, I'm not going to go into, but 
the equipment that they send her and I think it is so fantastic. It's really funny. It's, yeah. It does have some funny parts in it and it's sort of delightful. But you sort of also feel very sad for her because she's really struggling. Oh, it sounds like an amazing so it's, book. It is an amazing book. It's got mm. books and libraries. It's got mental health, mental health hospitals. It's got friendship and love. It's got hoarding and decluttering. Oh, oh wow. And yes. there's a character who's written a book like that one where you where the socks talk to you. What's yes, that? Yes, What's yes. her name? Oh. I can't think of her name. Mm. But anyway, there's a, a Japanese lady who's written this mm. book and she's coming to do a tour of America. It's got homelessness and it's got a beautiful found family mm. theme of people who make their own yes, group. Yes, their own group of family. Yeah. yeah. It's got crows that have sort of extra powers or can mm. communicate in a certain way. So and that's got, very Trent Dalton. Yeah, and it's got uh, poetry. Oh, it's got a bit of everything. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. So I, I would really recommend that one. It's called The Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki. And she has written, you said, before quite yes, a... Yes, A Tale for the Time Being oh, is yes, very, familiar. very popular. Yes, okay. No, I haven't read that, but it's a familiar Me name. Either. Yeah, mm. I've seen it everywhere, so I'm going to get my hands on that one next. Oh, because excellent. Well, that's a her great writing one. is just electric. God, I've got a big summer of reading I ahead. Uh, so what else have you been diving into lately? Well, though? not much because I've been doing a lot of reading. Yeah. But, look, I did want to mention another book because our last episode, of course, was about books that have been translated. Oh, yes. And I just coincidentally had happened to buy, buy my husband, Gus, this book, The Art of Patience by Sylvain Tesson. And he read it and absolutely loved it. And then I have finished it as well. And it's a very short book, so it's an easy read. The author is a writer and adventurer, and he uh, accompanies a renowned wildlife photographer, Vincent Meunier, to remote Tibet in search of the famously elusive snow leopard. Uh, and it's been translated from the French by Frank Wynne. And it is so beautifully written and moving. And the author is very warm and funny as well, quite self-deprecating because, you know, he's joined this wildlife photographer and the wildlife photographer's fiancé, who is a filmmaker, uh, and also he, an assistant is taken along as well. And the four of them have to be quiet because, yeah. you know, they're hiking very long distances over very difficult terrain and they're, they're on the lookout for this leopard. And, of course, they see lots of other creatures along the way as well and so you join them in these very sort of steady deliberate silent hikes oh. and they have this heightened sense of their surroundings and then there's the endless waiting and you know it slows you down there's the most extraordinary effect on you it's it is a book that must be read slowly and savored and it's just beautiful so I've got a lot more to say about it but it, yeah, I can really recommend it and it's rather a lovely gift to give someone yeah. so that's The Art of Patience by Sylvain Tesson Seeking the Snow Leopard in Tibet um, and yeah beautiful book that sounds beautiful gorgeous book. so I thought I'd mention that mm -hmm. and apart from that I don't know about you but Gus and I don't always watch the same television. No. And uh, it's great to find a series yeah. that you can both binge together or watch yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. So we both have just finished uh, a couple of weeks ago watching the TV series Vigil. Oh, yes. Set on the nuclear submarine um, with <laughs> just... Fantastic. <laughs> I know. Isn't it just? Uh, so that's got Saran Jones and Rose Leslie I in love it. I love both of them. I love both of them. I think they're yeah, fantastic. Yeah. 
and incredibly suspenseful and scary. And watch it. There was a lot of cushions up yeah. to my face <laughs> at times. And, but at one stage I said, I'm just going to walk out of the room for a minute. Oh, <laughs> uh, but we both loved it. That was great. So I can really recommend that if anybody hasn't watched it yet. That sounds fantastic, Marie. What about you? Uh, no, <laughs> I've just been reading. <laughs> I don't have anything. That's this good. Yeah, I've just, <laughs> just been reading and reading and reading and loving all, everything. I haven't really come across a bad book. And I haven't got new podcasts and things because I've been catching up on episodes. Me too. You know, so I've finished, caught up on the dropout. And, yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so I've just been waiting for a few episodes to drop, but I haven't been looking for any new podcasts. No, me so, either. No. Yeah, no, I've just been enjoying all the ones I usually yes. um, listen to. Uh, so I was going to do our book club announcement. Yes, great. So our next book club book is going to be The Lincoln Highway by mm. Amor Towles. Can't wait. We've been doing a collaboration with the Currently Reading podcast and we're to each give away uh, three copies of this book because we all loved his first mm. two books, The Rules of Civility and A Gentleman in Moscow. If you want to hear a great review of The Gentleman in Moscow, I heartily recommend that you go to the Currently Reading podcast and mm. listen to Meredith's review in their first episode of their current new series, Series 4, Episode 1. She's so passionate uh, and it is just the most mm. wonderful review. They both end up all sort of in tears <laughs> because Meredith just loved it so much yes. and Katie is just such a passionate person about yes. her books as well. And they're just the cutest buttons, the way they just get overcome with their love <laughs> yes. for the, the count. They're such nice girls and we just we love their podcast. Yes. So uh, we, we just can't wait to read this new book. I've heard uh, Tor down at Collins yes. had an advanced copy and he described it as delightful. Oh, yes. And he had not read either of the oh earlier. Oh, my goodness. He'd love Gentleman in so I said you're in for a treat. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so if you would like to read The Lincoln Highway with us, do get your hands on a copy or mm. see if you can get it in from the library and make a start. It's quite a big book mm. and Louise and I will be discussing it in our episode that goes to air around the 3rd of December. Yes. So that's it for us for today. We hope you've enjoyed uh, joining us for this conversation. Let us know if you've read any of these books and what you thought. We love hearing from listeners. We do. And we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye. We really enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening and thank you for all your lovely reviews too. If you want to know more about today's books or anything else we've talked about, you'll find them in the show notes. And we feature most of the books on our Instagram page too at diving underscore in underscore podcast. And if you'd like to share any books that you've been diving into, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at hello at divinginpodcast.com. Bye for now. Breaking up. Shaping up, working in, diving in, breaking up, shaping up, working in, diving in. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia has actually collapsed into the desk. <laughs> She's laughing oh, so much. God. Okay, so ignore that.